Hello and welcome. You are watching Destination Draft Day. Michael Rockman here. Brian's also with me as well. And then Nick will probably be joining in randomly sometime throughout the feed. It is an off week in terms of football. Really not much going on besides a Madden Pro Bowl that we will obviously probably never leave our screens for. But for the fans, you know, it's it's definitely less action-packed as far as the NFL goes, but the content here on Destination Draft Day is still unlimited. Destination Draft Day, whether it's pro football, college football, or NFL Draft Talk, we got you covered. It's a long road to the NFL Draft, but we'll get you there. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. I think that it's good to have a, have, have this week off between the championship games and the Super Bowl. We all get to decompress a little bit. Plus, uh, those people that are really interested in the college game and the draft have the senior bowl for whatever, uh, for whoever's, you know, might be interested in that. Uh, there are a lot of really good players taking part in the game. So I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, at least. Absolutely. And first and foremost, the final head coaching position has been filled. Texans have decided on their guy. Now the true analysis of the situation is what is going to happen with Deshaun Watson. He came out, he said, oh, you know, this is this is definitely going to stay. Deshaun Watson will be a Texan. But, you know, Coach Coley, first and foremost, let's talk about him a little bit. He was an assistant head coach at the Ravens. Stayed there for a very long time, has had a very long coaching career, but there are definitely questions about his overall production as a receiving coach. He hasn't been great. You know, he was part of the Kansas State Chiefs team that had the, you know, famous no wide receiver touchdowns throughout the entire course of the season stats. So there's definitely a lot of concern here that I've seen from whether it's NFL fans or Texan fans, but now we also see this guy coming in as head coach where there's some optimism because he's a very compelling guy coming from a strong locker room. And the hope is that he will be able to bring that. So Brian first on a Deshaun Watson level, what do you think of the Coley hire? And then next on a Texans level, what do you think of this hire? Well, it seems that when it comes to Deshaun Watson, they could have plucked Bill Belichick from New England and he wouldn't have wanted to stay. It just sounds like no matter what uh, he wanted out, the coaching change, you know, whoever it was, wasn't really going to change that, especially when he wanted in on the whole GM process. They told him he'd have a say. They hired someone anyway without actually asking him. I think they burnt their last bridge uh, with Watson and now he's ready to play hardball with them, it sounds like to go somewhere, whether wherever that is. So from that standpoint, I think the bridge is burned and they're going to have to trade Watson, even though the team is, are still the ones with the leverage. And Cully could say anything about not wanting to trade Watson, but I don't think that's – I think he's going to get traded uh, at some point. Now, before the Texans, it could be a good thing. Now, it's not a good thing to probably lose Deshaun Watson. You're going to have to completely then – hit the reset button basically, right? Uh, they have a bunch of other holes on the team, but well, it what it will allow Cully to do is uh, basically build this team from the ground up and not have a team that's held hostage by Deshaun Watson. So for a coach that's never been in that position before, it could be a good thing. And they've also hired some really, really experienced coordinators like Lovey Smith, who's been a head coach before, to come be coordinator. And maybe that can you know help him navigate uh, all the things that come with being an NFL head coach. And maybe even though it's bittersweet and you don't want to lose a player like Deshaun Watson, the fact is now that you might, and you might have to go make the best of it. But for a new coach, maybe there are worse things in terms of being able to put your own imprint on the team. Yeah, absolutely. I think while this is not good at all for the Texans to be losing a superstar QB for Dave Coley, who I assume is kind of being brought in to help this team right the rebuild where they kind of you know keep things calm in the locker room keep their players happy keep everything drama free until they are ready to compete and he's 65 so he probably won't be there for that part of the process they will probably have you know whether it's tim kelly or whether they really love pep hamilton at that time or whether they 
want to go pursue Josh McCown again. We'll see. But ultimately, it sounds as though, you know, this guy is just here to be the, the head guy that keeps everything peaceful and calm as they rework this team and try to restructure everything. So we could see a fire sale, and that will be stressful for Texans fans. That will be fun for NFL fans who just want to see chaos in the offseason. And we'll see what happens. But this trade, trading a superstar QB, we haven't seen a guy like Watson really on the trade market ever, I would like to say. So, you know, having a player that is worth so much, we don't know what the price tag is. And I can't say that there's something that comes in where I'm going to be like, wow, no way was that a good move unless this team is just giving up their entire, like, roster of superstars and draft picks forever. And then maybe I'll question it. But you know, if the Dolphins come out and trade three, 18 next year's first to and additional picks that aren't maybe as high, but still picks, I'm not going to say, Oh, that's terrible. I'm going to say, Holy cow. The Dolphins now have Deshaun Watson there at QB and they're just as much of a con- contender as anyone. So the price tag on Deshaun Watson is unprecedented. We don't know what it is. And it's now just going to be a complete bidding war. And the Texans can really benefit from that. And then in terms of this team, like I said, you know, he's he's kind of just here to help out the rebuilding process, keep the peace. But I think the hope is that Tim Kelly kind of establishes himself as a great offensive coordinator, and that's why they kept him. And if he can, you know, kind of keep the offense going and then bring in more and more talent that overproduces despite losing a star quarterback, then I think he would have to be the lead man for head coach, you know, two, three years down the line. Yeah, well, it certainly feels like a stopgap thing when you look at Cully's age and just the realities of the roster, right? And if you do trade Deshaun Watson, you're going to end up with all of this draft capital. Uh, so uh, he's really going to be there to maybe, you know, babysit some young guys. He's going to be there through a couple of lean years where they're going to have high draft picks. Uh, multiple of them in each year, probably. And that will give whoever else is there, whether it's Kelly, whether it's Lovey Smith, eventually getting another head coaching position at some point down the line. Uh, it's hard to say now uh, what will happen, but it looks like those guys that the Texans do trust, like Kelly, are going, there's not that many staying, and but they are keeping the guys that, that they like to help, to help Kelly navigate what is going to be Probably a couple of really rough years, to be honest with you. And on the Watson thing, I mean, you're right. This is going to be a trade that's graded down the line, depending on how that team does. I think almost any asking price, almost any uh, you know amount of picks or capital that somebody gives up, you're going to say, well, it was for Deshaun Watson. You know, you, the, a team like Miami, you went through, uh, you know, the Jets of the other team that are talked about to be in the mix. They have two firsts this year and two firsts next year. If they traded, you know, three of those four first round picks plus another pick and got Watson and a sixth rounder. Are you really going to say that it was a bad move for a team that needs a quarterback? Probably not. So uh, really anybody who, who pays the price for them, um, they're, they're not going to get slandered or anything like that. They just have to go out and win after that. And, you know, talking on that regard, it's been reported that Matthew Stafford seems to be a heavy favorite for, heading towards the 49ers now. And, you know, the rumors are very much speculation, so I don't want to act like this is just set in stone. Anything could happen. But we've seen the 49ers just last year make it to the Super Bowl. This year got hit with a plethora of injuries. But Stafford, guys like Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, who's now in his second year, we see a strong offensive line with guys like Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey. We have... Great superstars on this defense with Fred Warner, Nick Bosa. Where do you see the 49ers with Stafford riding the ship, being the starting QB, assuming he's healthy? What's the ceiling for this 49ers team? Yeah, um, I mean, kind of sky's the limit type of deal because this team, and you hate to really put it on one guy, but uh, if you had to pick out one weak link from the 2019 49ers, it was Jimmy G. They had the run game, they had the offensive line, they had the weapons, and we know that the defense was uh, shut down. So, you know, it sucks to lose uh, a coordinator uh, like LaFleur. Uh, they're going to have to 
compensate for that, um, reinstall their offense and those types of things. But I mean, a quarterback of Stafford's caliber with a little bit of protection and obviously his health, uh, he's not incredibly mobile, but he's, you know, neither is Jimmy and Stafford's obviously, you know, he's one of the most talented arm talent wise and one of the toughest guys we've played seen play quarterback in the last couple of decades. Probably he's definitely from the Tony Romo school of I broke my back in the second quarter, but I'm still here to lead like a game winning drive in the fourth type of deal. So, I mean, that team could be really, really good. And we saw this year with Seattle that nobody is nobody in that division, even though there are a bunch of good teams are super dominant. Uh, the Rams, Seattle, and the 49ers, any one of them could really win the division. And even the Cardinals were competing there for a little while. So, I mean, Stafford is kind of one of the very few missing links that they need besides overall health to really compete. Yeah, and I will say to the audience, if he does become a 49er, I would say stay away from the MVP bets. I think Shanahan, obviously, Stafford's a great QB. I don't want to disrespect him. You know, looking at what Shanahan did with Matt Ryan, it would be very easy to buy into it. You try to jump on it as fast as you can. But I think Shanahan would be smart to limit how much you're using Stafford early, keep the run game going, keep things simple, and then once playoffs come around, really unleash Stafford. Instead of trying to, you know, make him the star of your offense and then risking getting him hurt and being back right where you started, which was an injured team that didn't have much to offer. So, Nick, you're obviously the betting expert, but I just want to put that out there for all the fans. I think stay away from the Matt Stafford's MVP bets. I'm sure the odds will be enticing, especially right away early, and maybe even as the offseason progresses where the hype kind of dies down, it may get more enticing. But I I would say, you know – Keep away, go for your your Josh Allens, your Patrick Mahomes that are more the uh, young superstars that are going to be used week in, week out for that team. Yeah, yeah. And I would like to say, obviously, as you were just explaining, it is Kyle Shanahan's offense and Mike McDaniel was promoted to offensive coordinator. So it's not like there's a huge change with the floor gone. There'll be a little bit of an adjustment, but they'll be okay with Stafford. But I think you're right. And I say that because they have such a good offensive line and they do have the ability to run the football. I really think that's going to be the basis of their offense. I mean, we've seen uh, Matthew Stafford throw a lot in the past with Detroit because they're either down in games, uh, they can't really protect them, or they don't really have a running game to speak of. That's not really the case with the 49ers. And you don't really see quarterbacks win the MVP of teams that want to run first. So yeah, a guy like Josh Allen is going to be a really good MVP pick for next year. He'll probably be a very popular one. Even though people just see those big odds, they're going to see Stafford. Five bucks is going to win them a couple of hundred, and they're going to say, go for it. But, yeah, I probably wouldn't put an MVP bet down on Stafford. So, as I said earlier, every head coaching position that was open is now filled. We saw some – Interesting press conferences, whether it's Dan Campbell's talking about taking out kneecaps or maybe Nick Sirianni's that just recently happened where he was stuttering all the way through. Definitely uh, a whole scale of confidence for both sides. So, Nick, I mean, sorry, Brian, my apologies. Brian, I want to get your thoughts. What is your favorite head coaching hire of this offseason? And what do you think is the uh, is the worst hire as well? Yeah, this is going to sound like bias because, you know, I am a Jet fan, but I think the Salah hire was a good one. Uh, I don't really put too much stock in whether it's an offensive coach, defensive coach, and what that particular team's strength and weaknesses are. In some cases, I think it could matter. But uh, I just think that the Jets needed such a culture change, and that's really the number one thing before you fill all the holes that they have, even though they're trying to do both at the same time. And a guy like Salah gives them the chance uh, to do that, even though he is a first-time head coach. He brings LaFleur with him. The two are a, a bit of a tag team there, offense, defense. And um, I think that that ends up being a really good hire. I think my least favorite hire, even though he, the press conference was wildly entertaining, I'm not going to say Sirianni because of the position that the Eagles are in. I'm going to say Dan Campbell with the Lions because for me, this looks like they wanted to hire somebody who is just the exact opposite personality of Matt Patricia and that they didn't really care whether or not that was necessarily best for the team. So they went from sort of a quiet, uh, reserved, 
sort of guy to the most rah-rah guy imaginable who's going to have you biting off kneecaps and acting like dogs out there. And uh, maybe from a build the team up and galvanize standpoint, that, that works. And I can't necessarily blame them for getting someone opposite of the previous head coach, but I just don't, I just don't see that working. I saw that they were, I think there were a lot better options on the table. Yeah. And you look at some of the head coaching hires, you know, Brandon Staley and Urban Meyer probably have the best setup for success right out the gates. A lot of Greg Sala's coaching career is going to depend on who the Jets get at QB, how this defense comes together. You know, they have to hit on a lot in order for Sala to really become this great coach in the league and get this notable, you know, success attached to his name. But, you know, when you have the QB already in place, when you have as many young, talented defensive pieces as the Chargers have, Brandon Staley shouldn't have that hard of a time finding success as the Chargers head coach and potentially really becoming one of the, you know, league's elite. So I think in terms of early success, Staley and Urban Meyer will likely have the most. But in terms of hires, I have to agree with you. I really like Greg Sala. I think the Jets desperately need a guy to come in and really kind of change the culture, bring in a system that is very coaching dependent, but also a lot friendlier to players. And I think it does both that. So the Jets, very young team, still a lot left to see what will happen with their future. A lot of this roster will probably not be the same two years, three years down the line. But I do like who is in place right now. I think Joe Douglas is a fine GM, and I now really like the head coach and coaching staff that's currently in place there for the gang green. And now welcoming into the show, Nick, how's it going? Busy day for me, guys. Sorry for being late. Uh, my voice is kind of shot. I was actually on a, another hour show earlier. Uh, but, you know, love what you guys have been saying so far. I think Urban Meyer is set up for success. Uh, and I think he'll have a long leash there. Uh, and like you're saying, with the Jets, it's going to come down to the quarterback position. I'm really not buying all this. You know, Watson, just because he requested a trade, is going to be out. To me, the Texans have all the leverage. So why would they trade him? And then today you had Dan Orlovsky, who is an ESPN analyst, who, by the way, went 0-16 with the Lions uh, and ran to the back of the end zone for a safety. He <laughs> says that the, the Giants should trade three first-round picks, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, for Deshaun Watson. Um all right, but <laughs> if the Giants could be able to make Super Bowl next year with that, I don't think so. So it's very risky here. Um, is the and honestly, I don't know. Like if you're if you're the Jets and you're going to trade three first round picks and you get Watson, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to the playoffs. Obviously, you want to have the quarterback in play, but there's just a lot of factors out there that that factor into the whether or not your team can compete because. We've seen teams who have had great quarterbacks, all-time great quarterbacks like Dan Marino, and they just never won a Super Bowl. Uh, it, it took Peyton Manning some time to win a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Drew Brees only got one. Rodgers only has one. It, it's tough, and I think fans need to. You know, we've said it for weeks now. We talked about coaches getting hired and how long do they have. Fans need to be patient here. Uh, they got to give the coaches and GMs the, the proper time, especially in a year like this where to evaluate players is tough. People sat out in college. Uh, you know, they're only really letting uh, you time people on different events at the senior bowl week in practice. So it's going to be interesting how the next at least two years of, of NFL draft class to shake out in my opinion. At the same time, Nick, right? It's true that you could have a good quarterback and not be guaranteed to win the Super Bowl. But if you don't have a good quarterback and you never go get one, you're almost guaranteed to never win the Super Bowl unless you've right. got a 2000 Ravens type of defense. Delphar, yep. Yeah. So, or an 85 Bears type of defense, which most teams in the NFL, you know, just don't have. So I probably wouldn't make an RG3 type of deal and trade, you know, several three, four, uh, especially first rounders for an unproven guy. But we were talking about it earlier that if a team gave away multiple first round picks for Deshaun Watson 
and they felt like they were a quarterback away from making the playoffs, which it depends on who the team is, I suppose. The Dolphins, definitely. Uh, the Jets might not be, although their defense will be better with Salah than, than it was before. Um, you know, it's hard to fault a team for just for just going for it when there are so few quarterbacks that can make like right. this much of a difference. Although he doesn't have the leverage unless yeah. he's going to decide not. Unless the one thing, right. play. the one thing you got to you know be careful of here. It doesn't really happen often, but you know the the Cowboys trade Herschel Walker. They end up drafting Aikman, Smith, and Irvin with those picks. So you don't want to be on the wrong side of things in that perspective, but. You know, you are right, you know, especially if you're the Dolphins and you think it's not going to work out with Tua here. Uh, and because you, because that, and that, uh, if you're trading Tua, um, you're not going to have to give up as much draft capital because you would think, all right, the Texans, they'll take Tua plus the first round pick, maybe something else. Whereas the Jets, you know, you know that the Texans are taking that second pick because they want to draft a the quarterback. They're not saying, give us Darnold, we'll take away a pick. Right. So it, it gets tricky. That's why, personally, I would think the Dolphins are the favorites here. If they want to pull the trigger, they can get it done. Um, but, again, I do think that the Texans had the leverage, Michael, because, uh, you know, all right, if they say we're not trading you, then Watson's going to be tra- uh, fined throughout, uh, you know, the whole summer, missing camp, 60000 a week or something. Then if he's not playing in the regular season, he's going to be losing $600,000 a week. So, <laughs> I mean, at a certain point, he's got to just cave in and, you know, go ahead and play, I think. But th- I, I understand that he's uh, he's unhappy um, and he wanted the enemy. He wanted to pick the GM. Get that. But he's got to give the new people there a chance to at least speak with him because they did no wrong in, getting, in taking accepting the job. Yeah, I think the biggest issue is just the idea of McNair and Esterby. But, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. I would assume the locker room in full is going to understand that, you know, Coach Coley had nothing to do with Deshaun Watson. Casario didn't really have anything to do with Deshaun Watson. So the players that are watching Deshaun Watson get traded, the fans that are watching Deshaun Watson get traded, probably can't use this against Casario if, like, Deshaun Watson goes wins three Super Bowls. They can't say, oh, we are the one who traded him. Like, I think there's definitely leeway in that regard that, this isn't a ordinary situation for anyone to walk into. Now, I want to pitch this real quick. I don't want to run every show where we're just talking a million hypotheticals about Sean Watson, but this is one that I've been talking about with some friends of mine, and it's kind of interesting because it's that point where you're like, okay, it really comes down to your opinion on QBs in this league, where Deshaun Watson ranks, where some of the other good ones rank, and what the difference is between a guy like Deshaun Watson and someone who's a serviceable starter. If you're the Browns, you already have Baker Mayfield in place, but would you be willing to give, you know, Baker Mayfield and whatever extra it takes to make the trade happen for Deshaun Watson to bring him into this team where, you know, you're already a very fine offense with the Baker Mayfield. You are probably fine offensively, but with Deshaun Watson, you could potentially put yourself to a great next step and really be able to compete offensively with the Chiefs. And obviously there's so much work that needs to be done defensively with the Browns. But are you willing to make the pay that would be required to make that move if you're the Browns? Nick, we'll start with you. I don't think so. Uh, You know, Baker's on his rookie deal. He's not making any money. Uh, You're going to bring in Watson. You're going to blow up your cap. You're going to have a lot of trouble getting additional pieces at this point. Uh, So I think – I don't think there's a significant uh, gap, enough of a significant gap between Mayfield and Watson, in my opinion, that I would got to do that trade. Um, you know, maybe the Browns they want to get rid of Odell Beckham Jr. or something, and, and they do those two guys for Watson, and that way you can kind of free up some money. But I think, given the salary implications and and the fact that you know maybe you know you want to say Watson's a top ten quarterback, well. You know, Mayfield, is he top 15? Maybe, but he's at least a top 20 quarterback. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's that much of a significant gap there that I'd be wanting to do that, especially when, you know, uh, you, you already are a team that is, you know, a contender now. Ryan, how about you? 
Yeah, um, I probably wouldn't do it, but I do think there's a significant gap between Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield. I think if we put Deshaun Watson behind Baker Mayfield's offensive line and gave him some time to throw, especially the dual threat option that he is, the Browns offense would be basically unstoppable. But Nick's right. This is a salary cap sport, and you can't afford to put yourself in cap hell because you're just going to have to shed salary elsewhere, and it's going to involve you – Uh, giving up good players because how else do you get rid of money? So if contracts didn't exist or if this was baseball and you could take on any contract you want and just pay, you know, a luxury tax for going over a certain amount, I would be far more open to this, but in football, probably not just from where the, where they stand. And the other aspect of it is, I don't know if a team like the Browns or a front office like the Browns is looking at it the same way some others might. Uh, I think that they might look at it like, like just like a, like a homegrown, we drafted this guy, this was our quarterback kind of deal. Uh, I think that there were a couple of popular Twitter threads going around yesterday about Browns fans that were like, no, I'm just loyal and want Baker just because he's our guy. And um you know, I, I, I understand it. Everyone wants a homegrown franchise quarterback, but I would make no mistake that Deshaun Watson is better than 90% of the quarterbacks in the NFL. Speaking of salary, uh, I don't know how much longer the Chiefs could keep things going. How are they going to pay Mahomes plus any star they have on defense, Kelsey and Hill? Eventually they're going to have to reach a point where someone's got to sacrifice uh, – I mean, they'll still be competitive. I think of it as the Seahawks here, where Wilson Wilson's good enough to get you to blast every year. But not sure if the dynasty is going to keep rolling here. The significant difference here between the Patriots dynasty and the Chiefs dynasty is that the Patriots were ruthless and they would just cut people whenever they needed to and trade and get draft picks. And they were always looking to get new players. Uh, whereas the Chiefs here, they probably are going to show a little more loyalty and who knows if that's going to hurt them in the long run. I think it requires a little bit of sacrifice um, from the players themselves. Uh, We actually saw this with the Miami heat and we saw it with the golden state warriors after that, where players were willing to maybe not get paid quite what they were worth in order to keep everybody together. We've seen it in other sports, uh, even in sports like hockey as well. Um, So it would require a little bit of that. If every single talented player on that team was like, I just want to get paid. Well, there's no way that they're going to be able to keep them all. But I guess there's a possibility of a guy saying, Hey, I'll take another short term deal. uh, So that, or I'll restructure my current deal so that we can keep everybody we need to keep. But it's an interesting thought because this happens to championship level teams all the time. Absolutely. And I think the chiefs will probably be able to hold on to some of these pieces. I think in time, as we get by year to year, Mahomes' contract will become not terrible in terms of perspective just because of how much time passes. These contracts continue to just get bigger and bigger. So Mahomes is definitely going to be a star QB for a long time, but I think we will see that his contract gets a little more favorable as the contract nears his close and whether they decide to give them a little bit more money or not, it's kind of up to the Chiefs. But I do think that they'll be able to maintain keeping guys like Tyreek on the roster, keeping guys like Travis Kelsey, but continually drafting guys to fill in at the defensive spots. You know, you aren't going to be able to hold Frank Clark for long. You aren't going to be able to keep Sammy Watkins for long. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Lair probably won't be able to get extended once his contract's up. You got to be smart with your money. You got to find this little kind of – carousel of success at a lot of positions and we'll see times where they probably do it well and we're saying okay the Chiefs are very much just the best team in the league right now and then there will be times where you know someone comes in and they just aren't good at all and we're saying oh you know if you're the Chiefs you gotta draft better next year or else it's gonna be downhill and and that just when we're talking salary cap here you gotta just be you know give more credit to Brady the ultimate team guy who cared more about winning because there was never a time in the NFL where he was the highest paid guy. And there definitely was years where he was the best player in the league. And he, you know, he said, <laughs> I think, I think actually this year is making the most he ever made in the season, but uh, he said, I want to win and we'll see 
you know, how people feel about that, especially the younger guys who, if they come in and succeed right away and win, usually in every league, we see them say, all right, now I want to get paid. I don't really care as much about winning. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And we see the benefits of having a rookie QB contract on a team, you know, whether it was the Rams just two years ago when they had Jared Goff or Patrick Mahomes right now, while he's still technically under his rookie deal, we are seeing the Chiefs just absolutely stack this roster. So as the talent coming in has kind of elevated, it's why, you know, hypothetically, if the Texans called the Jaguars and said number one for Sean Watson straight up, I'm not sure the Jaguars would even accept because you really have this chance with Trevor Lawrence to bring in a pretty cheap contract and just be able to really build the team entirely while you take advantage of those four or five years where you aren't having to pay QB one numbers. So it's absolutely huge. If you're looking at like the last 20 years, like the teams that won Super Bowls, take Brady, put Brady aside here. Uh, The Steelers won on big Ben's rookie deal, right? Um, so that, you know, that, that's kind of like the stand, they, the Packers won on, on, on Rogers rookie deal. Uh, the Seahawks won on Russell Wilson's rookie deal. Um, you know, these teams haven't had duplicated success to the level of winning a Super Bowl ever since they signed their, their QBs to the long-term extensions. Absolutely. And, you know, even whenever you look at teams like, the Eagles, where they had Carson Wentz on his rookie deal, they had Nick Foles as their backup QB, they were able to put a really great team in place. Uh, last year with the Chiefs, obviously, we talked about, it's just a very common reoccurrence where if you can get someone that's good enough to really fill in for the job, you have a really nice chance as long as you are successful enough in building the rest of this roster. So I, there's a lot of entice to bringing in a rookie QB, and that's why a lot of people – will kind of shine up the idea of any rookie QB that their team's going to draft. They really just buy into this idea that no matter what, it's going to be special. And obviously it's the college superstar lenses, but also it's the idea, you know, if this guy's solid, we can get a great team in place and be great as a football team. So it's, it's part of the process. And I think we could see, teams start to trend more towards trying to get rookie contracts in if, uh, you know, these QBs continue to have these kind of, you know, big contracts where you're saying, okay, are we paying, you know, Dak Prescott $45 million a year or are we going to just try to trade this and maybe test our luck with the Trey Lance or Justin Fields if we can? So is it the right move? Maybe not. But I think we could see a lot of positions start to become like running back that we see right now where they're kind of looking at the shelf life and saying, okay, yes, we would love to have this guy. He's a great QB, but is he worth 25% of our salary cap or you know, 15% of our salary cap? Or should we just go and get another guy and test our luck? And worst case, you know, we're sitting here getting fired, but you know, at least we swung for the fences rather than just kind of accepted. 10 and six as our ceiling or something. So it's, it's a uh, lifelong debate that'll probably be happening more and more as the years go along and contracts get bigger, but it's uh, it's definitely something that every team needs to consider. And unless you have a guy like Mahomes, it's uh, it's probably a lot more complicated question than, than you'd like to uh, have it be. Anyway, uh, going on from the play on the field for talking about some draft prospects, the senior bowl practices have been happening all week, and there have been some standout performances. There has been some disappointing performances, and now it is time to talk about it. Obviously, we aren't going to talk too much about this entire week yet because there's still stuff going on today. There's the game going on on Saturday. So there can still be guys that stand out. But from what we've seen from practice, first and foremost, I'm sure you guys have seen the Matt Rule clips that have come from the Senior Bowl talking about, A, you know, being coachable and how important it is, not just saying yes, sir, but also just, you know, being able to be coached every play, accepting that not every play is going to be this perfect example of, you know, how to play football. Accept coaching, especially as a young player, 
And we've seen that happen with a lot of talented guys come into the league, kind of be arrogant about their talent level and in turn lose out on what could have been a very special career. So having a guy like Matt Rule say that early, I think is going to be huge. But how important do you think it is for young players in this league to get the chance to play under arguably two of the most enticing young coaches in the NFL with Matt Rule and Brian Flores? I think it's it's good in the sense that both guys are younger. Uh, Rule, I think, someone a lot of the players want to play for just because he was literally in college football last year. Um, so he has a tremendous advantage here where he's going to be you know, he knows a lot of these guys that he's played against or he's heard about them and he'll know like what really from a college system could adapt well to potentially his system. Uh, Brian Flores, obviously the Dolphins are on, on the up and coming here. So uh, I think it's, it was a great choice here to have these two teams, you know, go ahead and, and host the, the senior bowl here. Uh, and I don't know. I, I it's hard to, in, for the senior bowl, though, I, I always thought it was kind of an unfair advantage that an NFL's full coaching staff coaches the team. I don't know how to determine who which team does it or whatnot, but to me, it's just an unfair advantage. But you know, someone would have to do a research study and see how many times did somebody coach somebody in the senior bowl and they end up getting drafted. And some inside information, but it kind of gives them a leg up on the competition because. Michael, don't you think Bill Belichick would love to coach the Senior Bowl? I think he would. Uh, I think he would like that to get the intel there. So, uh, but yeah, back to your original point. I think, especially with Matt Rule, uh, big advantage there, and someone that a lot of the players are probably very familiar with. Yeah, generally in in ordinary years, they offer it to the lowest teams that are keeping their head coaches in place or like their original coaching staff mm-hmm. in place, but. You know, I think this year with the uh, COVID-19 guidelines, they tried to keep it with teams that would, A, be kind of close to Alabama, so Carolina, Miami, not too far away. And also, they, uh, I think they had some teams that ended up rejecting the invitation to come just because of all the risks. That right. You would think it would have been the Jets, right? But oh, that I guess no, because Jets and Jaguars, new coach. So uh, the Dolphins are the number three pick there, but it – technically should have been the Texans because it is their pick. Uh, so interesting. Yeah. They got very lucky for sure. Looking at it though, from a, uh, you know, prospect perspective, we have some questions coming in from the comment section. Does Mac Jones look like a top 15 pick now or is he looking to swing above his weight class? I think looking at it from a perspective of how he is going to get picked, I think Mac Jones could very easily be the kind of Derek Carr of this class where these people, these teams, I guess, are bringing in so many QBs that we don't see Mac Jones go top 15 and potentially not even in the first round where instead we see him fall, you know, early second, late first is, is the range I would expect probably no earlier than 20, but it really just comes down to how the board shakes out. Obviously, you look at teams like the Saints, you look at teams like the Steelers, even teams like the Patriots who will likely trade back. If they like Mac Jones, they're going to be willing to spend a first-round pick on him. It's just the current standing of what I see as draft stock. I think we see these QBs get hyped so much where every QB is almost hyped as a first-rounder early, and then as we get closer to draft day, some people fall off, and then – we see even on draft day that some of these QBs that were hyped as first rounders look at guys like Drew Locke even fall a little bit. So we'll see Mac Jones continue to get first round hype, probably build more and more on his stock and get more and more talk. But will he actually go in the first round? I'm not sure. And then Brian and Nick, we got a question and I'll let you guys take this one. Who is the first QB to get traded? As far as that are going to be drafted and I fuck QBs to be traded. I guess Matt Stafford, just because it's already out there that they're going to part ways. That's, that's my logic behind it. I think it's more likely we see that uh, than Deshaun Watson right away. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think that um, I still think Watson will get traded, but just out of the fact that 
Houston has no reason to rush it. They can sit back. They can wait uh, really as long as they want. Uh, Other teams are going to want to do it before the draft. Uh, They might want to do it actually before the draft also, but they could wait until draft night to do it if they wanted to. Whereas I would imagine that Stafford uh, gets traded much sooner. I don't know. If it was somebody else, it would be quite a – quite a uh, probably like a bit of like a little blockbuster move, uh, a surprising move. I heard Stafford might go for a first, which to me is a little crazy, but I guess if you're a win-now team and you think you're just Stafford away from being the Super Bowl contender, then I guess it kind of makes sense. But that's why you got to think Stafford's probably going as somebody picking late in the first round. I mean, if Lions to get a top 10, top 15 pick for Stafford, I think that's a, a great coup there. For sure. And, you know, we've kind of heard rumors about Jared Goff as well, potentially not being the starting QB. They came out and said that him and John Wolford would compete for the job. Oh, my gosh. Which is an interesting statement to make. Could we see the Rams in on this QB market? Maybe they don't have the assets in draft capital to trade for someone like Deshaun Watson, but maybe getting in on a guy like Stafford, maybe getting in on – some of the other options around the league, like Matt Ryan, is uh, is this something that you think the Rams, A, should do, and B, will do? The Rams are screwed. The Rams are screwed because they had a chance to let Goff play out his original deal, and they would have had the option of letting him walk this year. And McVeigh would very much like to do that now from what we hear about the dissension, you know, between them. But they owe Jared Goff $33.5 million. And it's a little bit of that Carson Wentz and Philly situation where are you really just going to cut this guy and take a cap hit of what is just dead money? You know, I highly, highly doubt it. And nobody else is going to take on that contract. So I, I think, think you could trade, I think you could trade Goff for Wentz. I think that works with the money. <laughs> Yeah, just swap them. There you go. The uh, the Rams are certainly in an interesting situation because they don't have a lot of leeway in terms of dead money. You know, you have to pay guys like Jalen Ramsey. You have to pay guys like Aaron Donald. Yes, their contracts are very easily able to be restructured. Uh, Aaron Donald's last year of his contract has like a $2 million cap hit right now, so you can easily push the money onto that uh, whether you want to or not. I don't know. That's up for the Rams to decide. But they have some money to move around, but it's definitely tough to try to get rid of Jared Goff in this situation and not have a huge amount of dead cap on your books when you already have a contending team in place, really. So I don't know what the Rams are going to do. I don't know if this is some tactic to try to get a little bit of fire under him or what, but it's, it's such a weird situation. And, you know, if the Rams are legit concerned about their QB play, maybe they're in play for a guy like Mac Jones or Kyle Trask if they can trade up high enough. But it, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Jared Goff seemed to be having a fine year. He seemed to be bouncing back a bit. The Rams made playoffs. A lot of people were kind of questioning Jared Goff late in the season, but he had this hand injury to where it seemed like it was excusable. And it seemed like they were just going to follow a normal NFL team timeline this offseason where it's just, you know, yeah, there's outers of our QB. He's our guy. We love him. We're ready for next year. We think we can contend, yada, yada. And instead, you know, they've kind of taken this untraditional approach of saying, no, we aren't happy right now with what we've seen from him. We need him to be better. He needs to earn this job because he's not done that well enough so far. So Rams, I, I don't know what the tactic is here. Uh Maybe it's just being honest to the media, you know, good on them if, if that's what they're doing. But I, I couldn't tell you honestly what is going on for the I, Los Angeles. I don't see the moving, moving golf. I mean, they're in a situation where they're picking in the late 20s. So you're not going to get an immediate starting quarterback at that spot. Well, like Brian mentioned, golf has got a big contract. So realistically, where are you trading him and who wants him and who are you getting back? that is a significant upgrade from Goff where you are in the draft. I don't know. If, yeah, some, if a free agent, but if somebody comes available as a free agent, you know, you could sign them, but 
I don't think there's going to be any trade movement here with, with Jared Goff this year. But Adam Schefter said he thinks there could be 18 new starting quarterbacks in the NFL next year, which would be wild. It's got to be like a record, honestly. Absolutely. So our last talking point of the day before we start to head out of here, the NFL has officially called off the combine. There's talks that maybe there will be regional stuff, whatever, but really a lot of it is going to fall on these private pro days now happening. So the combine has been huge for the NFL draft. It's big for prospects, big for teams, big for fans. You can a get testing results of these guys that have now become superior athletes. You can have guys fly up draft boards because of these testing results and these teams can really get their, you know, interviews in their combine interviews where they can figure out these guys, skill sets, personality types, and really get to know these players. Obviously there's situations like zoom meetings and stuff that you're not going to be missing out too much in terms of interview, but the combine is definitely big and it has a huge impact on these players and their potential draft stock. What do you guys think of the combine not being in play for this year? And what are your overall takeaways of it? I think this is actually a big NCAA thing because uh, the Combine's always held in Indianapolis. And where is that March Madness going to be, Brian? Indianapolis. So they don't want to have too many people in and out of there and, you know, and whatnot. And the facility is going to be taken. Um, for football side of things, I think it's a terrible move because I think they're better off having one Combine. Things could have been safer. Um, you know, contain everybody there. Now you're going to have these multiple private pro days and people flying in and out. And from a COVID perspective, to me, that seems unsafe. Um, and also, I mean, from a team perspective, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot more challenging. You could have just had the, the combine. You know, everybody gets the same measurements across the board. Um, and you could have done it that way. But, I mean, they got it done this past year. So I guess it worked out. I'm going to feel bad specifically for those guys who are fringe uh, draft picks that, you know, they show up to the combine, maybe they impress in a couple of those tests and they end up getting drafted by a team in the fifth or sixth round that maybe they wouldn't before, guys that we maybe didn't know that much about. I think for the better players uh, that we know are going to get drafted, but it's just a matter of where, it, it can make things confusing. Because we get all these stories that come out of the combine where we read like way too much into one particular drill or Teddy Bridgewater's hands are too small so he can't be an NFL quarterback or, you know, these some of these things that like you can't fully rely on, even though some of the like, yeah, you want a lineman who is really good at the cone shuffle and has quick feet. But at the same time, we don't want to take the combine and have that make your entire draft decision. I think that it'll, it, for better or worse, it'll make some of the decision-making for teams easier to just have their pro day and to not really have to compare the two. And they really only have one thing to go off of. Uh, but I do feel bad for the guys who that might be their only way to uh, earn being drafted into the NFL. Absolutely. And for everyone at home, that plans on keeping up with everything that happens with this, you know, pro day test results. I want you to take all results with a grain of salt. The four two twos that start coming out for, you know, these 300 pound linemen, we, we gotta, we gotta realize, you know, a lot of these guys are going to have favorable results, whether it's because there's hand timing or whether it's just because the equipment isn't as accurate as, you know, maybe somewhere with the NFL combine has it running. There's going to be a lot of misinformation in these results. So the athletic numbers aren't going to mean as much this year as they will in the past. Will guys blow people away with great results? Absolutely. And, you know, there's ways that if the footage comes out, you'll be able to tell whether the results are legit, but be understanding that there is going to be an improvement on, you know, average 40 time, average three cone time and everything in between, because 
it's just kind of what happens. People are always improving on their 40 time at their pro day. People are always putting up better results at their pro day. And it is because of favorable situations. So if you are going to be keeping up with the testing measurements, take everything with a grain of salt because it's going to be some, some exaggerated results. And we have one question right here. Which player do you think is hurt the most by not having a combine this year? And I think the players that really come out to me are guys like Jalen Waddle, where you want to see him kind of put on a show and he's healthy again. So being able to get him at the combine is huge. But also some of the smaller school guys that didn't have the chance to really present themselves now can come to the combine and put on a show, especially at the SCS level where guys like Dylan Radins or Spencer Brown could have came out, put up great testing numbers, impressed scouts, talked to every team and said, I'm here to be an elite tackle. And they would have gotten probably huge benefits from that. Now, looking at it from the skill players, obviously that's obviously that's bigger for the skill players to test well. But I think we're looking at guys that didn't have the chance at a 2020 season, whether it was due to opt out or due to losing their season. Missing the combine as well is is devastating for their stock. And we could see someone that maybe thought they were going to get drafted now go undrafted after missing the 2020 season. Yeah, I definitely think anybody who didn't play in 2020, they're hurt, they're hurt the most. Uh, the guys who are day three guys get hurt tremendously. Um, just the big name at the top of the draft, I think Trey Lance gets hurt. Didn't play. Uh, you know, Whit Wilson was great this year. He kind of surpassed him. Mac Jones, Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, and, you know, People are saying, oh, it's going to be between Lance or Fields for the number two quarterback. Well, you know, Lance might be, might be like the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board at this point, Michael. For sure. And I think the pro day opportunity that will probably happen for North Dakota State will be huge for him. But at the same time, these, these teams are going to want to see him play uncomfortably, and you don't really get that at a pro day. So definitely a – little bit of hurt for his chances of getting an improved draft stock will come from this. Ultimately though, this off season, regardless of what happens, there's one constant and that is destination draft day. We'll be here twice a week. Nick, Brian, thank you guys so much for the show. Everyone watching. Thank you guys so much for all your interaction in the comment section or just watching it all and dealing with us ramble on for a little bit. Thank you to LandryFootball.com and thank you to bonus seekers for the opportunities that they give us as well. That's all we got for you guys today. We'll see you Monday when we talk about the Senior Bowl and much more. Take care and enjoy your weekend.